Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for February 17th, 2008. And today we're going to be discussing a subject that's going to really ruffle some feathers, most likely. And um, I would have to preface this by saying, you know, he that judgeth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. Proverbs 18, verse 13. So, um, before you come to any judgments, I would say, hear this information out. And this information that I'm going to be presenting today is not really um, my opinion. It's from a lot of other people. Uh, we're going to be using a lot of direct quotes from people out of their own writings. We're going to be um, looking at uh, Alexander Hislop, the Two Babylons book. We're going to be looking at some really just factual evidence here. And the title would be, in a nutshell, The Cross. Symbol, the cross symbol, is it Christian or is it pagan? So let's, let's look at that, and I'm, I'm talking the regular cross here. Now we're going we're gonna to go through and we're going to distinguish things. We're going to look at this from a lot of different angles. Uh, this is probably going to be a pretty long teaching because I felt like it had to be in order to address this subject. I didn't want to do this as a brief teaching and just kind of move on to the next thing. Now, the first little article writing I'm going to be quoting from is um, a study by Timothy Youngblood. And he goes on to this. It's just a few paragraphs here. But he says, the first crucifixion scenes didn't appear in Christian art until the 7th century by the Catholic Church. Did you know that? These crucifixion scenes, they didn't even appear in Christian art until the 7th century by the Catholic Church. But, the depicted body of Jesus was not shown at this time. The original cross symbol was in the form of what they call a Tau cross. T-A-U is how you spell that Tau cross. As shown, uh, they have a whole bunch of pictures in this particular article. And it was so named because it looked like the letter Tau, or our letter T. Now this would just be like if you drive by a uh, gas station, a Texaco gas station. It has a T on there. That's called a Tau cross. Okay? There's different kinds of crosses. There's all kinds of different kinds of crosses. And we're going to be looking at that today as well. Now one author states that the Catholic Church copied the symbol from the pagan Druids, who made crosses in this form to represent the Tau God. Now, we already know if you've been listening to these teachings, that much of what we have in Christianity today, modern day pseudo-Christianity, is because the Catholic Church brought it to us circa 318, when Constantine essentially took over this whole thing and started amalgamating pure paganism in um, Christianity together. This is how we have all of our holidays like, you know, Xmas, you know, and Easter, Ishtar, and all these other amalgamated pagan holidays. Uh, all of these Catholic traditions, um, we've went over the fact that, you know, the, the, the Jesus that they depict upon um, the Catholic Church has always depicted us this long-haired Jesus. Um, is not biblically accurate. We've done all kinds of teachings on this, so this should really come as no surprise to us. Uh, but it's going to shock a lot of people, and that's why I want to do a really uh, in-depth study on this. Now, um, when the Catholic Church copied the Tau cross from the pagan druids. This was done so that those who worshipped the pagan god Tau would come into the Catholic Church. This is exactly why they did all of this. They were trying to appeal to Catholics in, or, or pagans and Christians at the same time. Now the Tau cross later became associated with St. Philip who was allegedly crucified on a cross in Pythagoras. May Day, which is a major druidic seasonal day of celebration, actually one of the main ones. It's one of the top three, I know. That's May 1st. Uh, that became St. Philip's Day by the Catholic Church. Later in Catholic Church history, the Tau Cross became the Roman Cross that we are familiar with today. The pre-Christian history of the Cross. The truth is that the Cross has been used as a religious symbol and an ornament from the dawn of man's civilization. Various objects dating from periods long before the Christian era have been found with different crosses of different designs in almost every part of the world. Did you know that? Crosses have been found from predating the Christian era from all parts of the world. They've been found for centuries. Centuries. And yet we think that it's this 
purely Christian thing, and it's been, it's predated Christianity though. So who was doing? Who was using this before then? Well, it wasn't the, the the let's say the religious Jews. That's for sure. Um, the cross symbol was found in Scandinavia. The trow, the Tau cross in that region symbolized the hammer of the god Thor. You ever heard of Thor? Okay, well that's what they used as their uh, the Tau cross as. In Hinduism, the vertical shaft represented the higher celestial states of being, whereas the horizontal bar represents the lower earthly states. That's in Hinduism. Uh, now they then they say um, the cross above is an Ankh and it's from Egypt. Okay, so an Ankh is a cross, it's like a Tau cross, a T cross, with a up with an inverted teardrop at the top. It's it's like a cross with an open symbol, an open uh, teardrop on the top. That's called an Ankh. Okay, and that's more of an Egyptian cross. Okay? And that cross is associated with um, the goddess M-A-A-T, Mat, the goddess of truth. It should be the goddess of lies. And what that cross represents is actually the sexual union of Isis and Osiris. Okay, that's what the Ankh represents. Okay, just like the, the square and compass represent sexual union in the Freemasonic religion. The use of a human effigy on a cross in the form of a scarecrow has been also used in many times also. In historic times, a human would be sacrificed and hung on a cross, just the way many churches of the Christian religion depicts it today, except they have it with Jesus Christ on the cross. See, Jesus Christ isn't on the cross anymore. He defeated it. Okay, but that's how the Catholics always want to portray Jesus, this pitiful, you know, person up on this cross that has to continually be re-crucified in order for their sins to be continually paid for. Because, evidently, they don't believe what Jesus Christ said, where he said, it is finished... They don't believe that. See, they have to go in every week and do their communion or whatever they do. And through the, and through the doctrine of, of transubstantiation, they believe, and the priests are taught, that they have the power to actually turn the, the, the bread and the wine literally into the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single time they, they believe they have that power. And I mean literal. They have to continually... Uh, keep doing this ritual over and over again to atone for their sins. Plus, they got to go to confession, and they got to keep the seven sacraments and all the other stuff the catechism teaches them, because they're they're trying to earn their way to heaven. Well, that's an abomination and an affront to God. Jesus Christ said when he was on the cross, you know, when it was all over, he said, "It is finished." You know, got to keep recrucifying him, and he's not on the cross anymore. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ever making intercession for the saints. Okay, so. That's how the Catholics, though, want to, want to depict him. One of the many ways. Or they have him as a little baby Jesus with Goddess Mary. Another abomination. He's not a baby anymore. Doug, Doug just told me about this painting. that um, Would you have it on your wall at home? No. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> he, he had it in the book. He threw the book away. But in this particular painting... It shows little Jesus in a little manger scene, and Mary's just gently lifting his foot and putting it on the serpent's head while he's in the manger. <laughs> but see, the, what's the what's the uh, what's the message? The message is Jesus has to have Mary's help to do you know anything, and, and that was that way since infancy until even now, where where she is considered by the Catholic Church the co-redemptrix. I mean, you got to go through her and Jesus in order to get saved. In fact, it's more important to go through her because she's the only one that can placate her son. That's what they're taught. I've seen pictures in this Baltimore Catechism where that's how he's portrayed. It shows this Jesus he's on is like his throne. He's he's mad. He's like uh, has his fists and he's he's slamming them down against the side of the throne chair. And Mary's there in front of him trying to calm him down. And so if they go through Mary, that's the only way they can calm down Jesus. That's what they're taught. Hey, that's enough to get him into hell. If you think about it, isn't that the devil's goal with all this? Just get you to hell? He don't really care how he does it, as long as he gets you there. So, in historic times, a human would be sacrificed and hung on a cross, just the way that many churches in the Christian religion depict it today. The sacrifice would later be chopped up to pieces. His blood and pieces of flesh were widely distributed and buried to encourage crop fertility. So this is pure witchcraft, what we're talking about here. 
Now, in regard to this picture, the first picture on top of the row, the, there's a whole bunch of pictures associated with this article. Uh, they show a cross with a X at the top. We're going to be talking a lot about that. Uh, depic depicting the cross of Constantine the Great, who stated that he first saw the sign from the Christian, who he called Christian, but it was more like the Catholic God, showing that he would win the battle he was about to engage in. And we're going to talk more about that later. Actually, in depth. The sign of the Constantine saw was an X in the sun. Did you know that? He saw an X in the sun. And that is why he commanded it to be, to be put on a Catholic cross as shown above. It should also be noted that Constantine was a sun worshiper. Where, where else better to see it? And that is why he looked into the sun for a sign. Boy, that must have hurt. Looking into the sun for a sign? Wow. We have found in our research that many monuments in ancient Babylon depict the mother goddess Semiramis and the child in her arms, which is the old pagan god Tammuz, which is where we get the whole uh, Catholic uh, married baby Jesus thing. It's, it's just a repackaged, repackaged version of that. The mother goddess Semiramis and Tammuz, and is where the worship of the Catholic and the Protestant cross originated from, actually. This is where, where it all started. It has been proven that the cross represents the first letter of the name Tammuz, with the top moved down, which is like a letter T. That's why they call it a Tau cross. Tammuz, the sun god. This is what we celebrate every year when we celebrate Saturnalia. I'm sorry, I mean Xmas. I'm sorry, I mean Christmas. This is what we celebrate every year, summer 25th, the birth of the sun god, Tammuz. If you go back, you know, if, if you did it honestly, and you go back, what, a couple thousand years ago or whatever, when they were celebrating Saturnalia, and there was no such thing as Xmas, well, that's what they were celebrating. Birth of the sun god, Tammuz. Oh, yeah, there's a, if you read Tertullian on festivals, he gets into this. Um... So, let's go further. This is just, we're just scratching the surface. Okay? Just scratching the surface here. Now, I found, I had a uh, gentleman, Christian, send me a book on the internet, and I, I don't think you can even find it on the internet. Uh, you might be able to, I don't know, maybe they've reproduced it somewhere. It's called The History of the Cross, <clears throat> The Pagan Origin, and the Idolatrous Adoption, and the Worship of the Image. Now, I know this isn't New York Best Time Seller, thing. Okay. It's by Henry Dana Ward. Now, this book was written, my word, 1830, is it? And I'm going to tell you more about the book later, okay? But I'm going to go right to the center of the book where he quotes um, a couple pages from um, Alexander Hyssop's book, Two Babylons. Now, when I first got saved, there was certain books, you know, I was told everybody should have, and this was one of them. Alexander Hyssop's Two Babylons. It tells a lot about the corruption, how paganism wove its way into the church. It's kind of a hard read because, you know, it's not modern day vernacular type of deal. But, um, this is a direct quote from the book. And this is part of, part of, um, of the book I'm reading here that I just quoted, The History of the Cross. Now, this is... Essentially, I'm going to be reading you excerpts from pages 283, 284, 288 to 294. Hislop's Two Babylons. Okay, that's what we're going to be quoting directly from that book. In Hislop's Two Babylons, a work of great research and of the highest authority. Now, this is the, the man, this Dana Ward, he's writing this about the book. He says, Mr. Hislop says, quote, in the papal system... It is well known the sign of the cross and the image of the cross are all in all. Now, the sign of the cross, I believe what they're referenced to here is, is when they make the sign of the cross. All the Catholics always do that. Okay? That ought to throw up a red flag right there. They're always obsessed with making the sign of the cross thing. Well, Catholicism, you know, is uh, idolatrous. Pagan. He goes on to say, no prayer can be said, no worship engaged in, no step almost can be taken without the frequent use of the sign of the cross. How many times do you see these, these uh, 
these pagan Catholics and they're in big, these biggest sporting events and, and they go out of their way to make the sign of the cross. Oh, like that makes them so religious and so spiritual. Like they're relying purely on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's pagan. I mean, if the Catholics are doing it, do we want to be doing it too? He goes on to say, the cross is looked upon as the grand charm as the great refuge in the time of danger in every hour of temptation. And it is. Isn't that the way it's portrayed in all the horror movies, too? You like watch these horror movies and these they're, they're, they're doing the sign of the cross and all the stuff. I'm not saying watch horror movies. I'm saying from time times past, what I can recollect. Yeah, they use that thing all the time. If they got in trouble, oh yeah, we'll just go to the sign of the cross. Uh-oh, vampire's coming. Gotta use the cross. We're going we're gonna to look at all angles of this today. This is looked at as the infallible preservative from all the powers of darkness. The cross is adored with all the homage only due to the Most High. Now here's where the rubber starts to meet the road. The cross is adored with all homage that's only due to the, that should only be due to the Most High. Would be a kind of a better way of saying it. And for anyone to call it in hearing and for anyone to call it, in the hearing of a genuine Romanist, now remember, this is kind of like old English we're, we're, we're using here. So it's, it's a little bit hard a little bit hard to discern through all this, but essentially what he's saying is that is if you... Um, let me just read the statement, and I'm going to define it. For anyone to call it, in the hearing of a genuine Romanist, by the scriptural term, the accursed tree, is a mortal offense to the Catholic... So in other words, if you call the cross the accursed tree in front of a Catholic, some mortal offense to them, they'll, highly, they'll, they'll, they'll get flat out indignant. Well, hold on, let's see what the Bible says. I could care less about man's opinion. I could care less about my opinion if it's wrong. I'm not trying to hold them to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. Let's see what the Word of God says. So if we go to, if we go to Acts 5.30... Acts 5.30... <clears throat> well, let's, let's just go to um, verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. This is when, as they were, you know, disputing. And then in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Said whom, that's what he said. Okay, now let's, let's go further. 1 Peter 2.24 So what we're going to be trying to do here is establish foundations, several different foundations to validate what we're saying here. Second uh, Peter 2.24 Speaking of Jesus Christ, who his own self bear our sins, that's what Jesus Christ did, he bear our sins in his body on the tree. See, he bore our sin debt on the accursed tree. We're going to look at the accursed tree more in a second. Bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. So now, once we're dead unto sin, we should live under righteousness. Crucified with Christ, according to Galatians 2.20. By whose stripes you were healed. So it says he bear, bore our sins on the tree. Now let's go, let's look at this even further. Deuteronomy 21.22 Deuteronomy 21.22 and 23 and it says, If a man have committed a sin worthy of death This is the Bible talking in Old Testament Levitical times. If a man have committed a sin worthy of death that he be put to death and thou hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. This is why Jesus' body was taken down. Because it was, it was forbidden to, to leave a body. They're describing it on a tree. Or wood. Isn't that what a tree is? Wood? His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. 
See, that's why the Bible says he bore our sin debt. He bore our sins on the tree. He took our curse upon him. Okay, so that's just a, that's kind of a side note, but it's very important to understand this whole concept here. For he that is hanged is a curse of God. That the land be not defiled. See, here's another way you can defile the land. Just hang a whole bunch of dead bodies on, on um, stakes or trees or, or, or crosses or whatever. It defiles the land. How it does that, I don't really know. This is a spiritual thing. I'm talking spiritually defiling the land. When, when Abel spilled Cain's blood, he said his innocent blood, you know, he said to Cain, he says, Your innocent, the, the, the innocent blood of your brother cries out from the land. When babies are killed, like it talks about in the Bible, when you give, them, um, when you give your seed to Moloch, and you burn him in the fire, and you kill your, your children, that defiles the land. When the Sodomites come into the land, that's another thing that defiles the land. There's a lot of things that defile the land. I can't imagine how defiled America is, or this world in general. We've got over, uh, I just checked the other day, there's this There's this. Um, this thing my mom sent me, it was uh, uh, this, it's called World Clock, I believe is what it's called. And it shows you real time, all the people that are dying, all the people that are being born, all the people that have certain diseases, and it shows you real time how many abortions there are going on. It shows you that, how morbid. And I projected, I did the math for this year, and it's going to be 44 million. 44 million? Well, they always talk about, you know, 40 million since Roe versus Wade. I know it's a lot more than that now. But, um, and that's horrific. It was like 4,000 a day. See, that's what should be on front page on the news. All this other stuff about Britney Spears and all this other junk. What an abomination. All that's fodder for your mind. That's just to keep you distracted. This whole election thing, what a joke. It's all been predetermined. This is why we should pray. The voting system's been rigged for a long time, folks. I'm sorry, but it has been. Totally rigged. Diebold, the ones that own the, the electronic voting machines, president of Diebold donated $100,000 to Bush's campaign, their buddies. It's a joke. I can prove it. Go up to blackboxvoting.org or vote scam. Uh, do keyword searches. It's, it's a joke. Total joke. All this is for our benefit just to keep us distracted off the real issues. I think, I think personally, I think the main issue in America, I think that the issue that's most nearest and dearest to God's heart is the abortion. The abortions that are going on. I think that overrides everything. Because when you take innocent... I mean, it's one thing if a consenting sodomite sleeps with a consenting sodomite. But it's another thing if you defile a little child. Jesus says it were better if a millstone were hung about their neck and they'd be cast into the midst of the sea. It would have been better if that one had never been born, essentially. If you defile one of these little ones that believe in me. That's what he said. So, to me, I personally believe that's the thing nearest and dearest to God's heart. And yet nothing's said. Babies get slaughtered all over the world. 44 million projected for this year. And that may be conservative. This is as wicked of a planet. I mean, if, if the truth be known. Now, does that mean we give up? No. It means you fight harder. You fight harder. Where darkness abounds, grace all the more. I was driving over here this morning, and I mean, normally, we haven't had a big problem with chemtrail planes in this area for the most part. I believe that myself and the people that I know, we... I believe we've prayed them out of the sky. I really do. I've seen it happen too many times. But lately, they've been really redoubling their efforts. And I mean, the sky was just crisscrossed with this poison over us. And if you have any doubts on that, just email me. I'll, I'll load your boat on what chemtrails are all about. Oh, yeah. In fact, one of our people's uh, leases out this week because of that. It's one of the reasons we're having an epidemic of lung cancer. Not only that, the depleted uranium issue over in... in um, Iran that they're using over there, that's atomized into the jet streams. We're breathing a lot of toxic stuff. Chemtrails, depleted uranium, the food's been contaminated, the water's been contaminated, so many things. You've got to go out of your way anymore to take care of yourself. This is why the other part of, in a way, my ministry is the health end. That's where I started before I was even saved. But, you know, I, I tell you what, I get righteous indignant when I see those things in the sky. 
The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. It's, you know what? If you're angry for a righteous reason, God gets angry for a righteous reason. Aren't we created in His image? Or should we just be this, this little pacifist that never does anything ever? Now, I'm not saying go out and punch people in the face. But I'm telling you what, if you get angry in prayer and you're really right with God, I'm telling you that is the most powerful way to pray. And if you're fasting, that's even doubly. Now, I've done whole sermons on this, the biblical keys to answer prayer and this type of thing. There's a lot of things you can do to hinder your prayer, so I would advise if you want to know that, more about that, just do a keyword search on my sermons, and, and it should come up. But anyway, the, the reason that you didn't want to leave a body on a cross, or, or, or on, a, on a tree, or what they call um, a staros, which is a uh, like a peg, a wooden peg, is that it would defile the land if you left it on there. Now if we go again, then we go to Galatians 3.13. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Did you know Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law? All these Messianic Jews and all these Jews for Jesus and all these Pentecostals that want to get themselves under the law and wrapped up in all that stuff, which is an abomination anymore to God. What you're saying when you want to go back to the law is no, no, you're not saying you want to be more holy. Yes, you're trying to be more holy. You're trying to look more religious. You're trying to earn your way to heaven is what you're trying to do. The truth be known. If righteousness come by the law, our faith is dead and in vain. That's what the Bible says. After Jesus Christ came, he did away with this. doesn't mean it gives us liberty to sin. It doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments are bad. doesn't mean any of that. Sin is still sin. Should I sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But there has to be some type of balance here. And that's what I don't see with most modern day religions. They're either one way or another. And they get far off in left field. And the Messianic Jews and all these other people, the, the Christian Zionists, they're trying to, it's like they want to be Jews. They give reverence to Jews. I read this article to uh, Doug the other day on the internet. Where they had one of these Christian Zionists and some Jewish guy shows up who's not even saved. And, they're, and they're, they're like saying, they're coming up to him wanting to shake his hand and touch him like he's the Pope or something. Like he's so blessed because he's got Jewish blood that runs through his veins. And he, was, he even thought it was weird. It was his account. So strange. And they were like so blessed because he was there and that basically, you know, he doesn't have to get saved the same way we do. He gets at a jail free card pass. Oh, the devil would love him to believe that. And all the Jews. Yeah, get all puffed up, puffed up because you're a certain race. Give me a break. The Bible says in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. Male or female, bond nor free. He did away with this. So Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He took our curse. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our, what we all deserve is hell, if the truth be known. You may not think that, but I'm telling you. The Bible says, for we are all together as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness is as a filthy rag. And we all together do fade as doth a leaf. That's what the Bible says, Isaiah 64, 6. So, that's what we deserve. The truth be known. And I'm the first one in line who deserves it. So I'm not sitting here judging. I know I deserve death and hell. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I deserve. The Bible talks about remember from whence the pit from which you were dug. That's why God hates pride. He hates it. You want to not get your prayers answered? Just get all puffed up with pride. Get in one of these religions that, that you know, makes you think that you're special or better than everyone else. Like the Charismatics, they think they're better because they pray in tongues and all this other stuff. They think they're, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. Most of the time all they're filled with is devils. Because their actions contradict the Word of God. That's all I need to know. If their actions contradict the Word of God and they say they're acting on God's stead, that's all I need to know. Why? Because by their fruits you shall know them. It's as easy as that. Just compare, compare what any religion is doing against the Bible, which is the anvil of truth. It's not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. That's a Bible quote. Jeremiah. So, 
The Bible's the standard. Okay? So if you're wondering about any particular religion and you're reading the Bible and you're well-versed in it and you compare it to what they're doing and it's totally diametrically opposed in many ways, well, then you don't really want to be a part of it. It's really as simple as that. So it goes on in this verse and it says, For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That the blessing of Abraham... See, if ye be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's what the Bible says in Galatians. If ye be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I just don't know how a person could read Galatians, Hebrews, Romans, like a Messianic Jew. Well, see, they kind of throw the Bible out pretty much anyway. They only go by the Torah. Hey, you start throwing the Bible out, how, do you, how are you even going to have any kind of dialogue with somebody? If, if all you've got is the first five books of the Bible, you've got nothing about Jesus Christ, and then they're using a corrupted Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? How do you, how do you, how do you have any kind of um, sane, logical debate with somebody if they're not even using the same standard you're using? It'd be like trying to get into, into a debate with a Satanist. They, they got the Satanic Bible, written by Anton LaVey, published in 1966. Um, how, how would you... Oh no, he, he started the first church of Satan on May 1st, 1966. I'm not 100% sure when he came out with the Satanic Bible. Well, anyway, that's irrelevant. But um, if you got one person using a different standard than you, and you try to get in, engage in a debate, it makes it a lot harder. Because they're using something... If it's not the Bible, it, it most likely has is full of errors. And I mean the King James Bible. So, Christ was made a curse for us. That we, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, if we go back to this article from Alexander Hyssop, it said the same sign of the cross that Rome now worships, and was used in Babylonian mysteries. Did you hear what he said? The same sign of the cross that Rome now worships, and was used all the way back to the time of Babylon. Particularly back then, it was the, ta the Tau cross, standing for Tammuz. Okay? It was a cross with the, with the upright moved up to the top, like the letter T. This was used in Babylon mysteries and was applied by paganism to the same magic purposes, was honored and was honored with the same honors. That which is now called the Christian cross was originally no Christian emblem at all. Now this is Alexander Hyssop saying this. The two Babylons. I've never heard this is the book that I was told to get, and I did get it, but you know what? I never really read it. Because I didn't like the way it was written because it was old English and I had a hard time with the vernacular, I guess. They say things very convoluted sometimes. You have to read it and reread it. I'm like, come on, why don't you just say it in a, in a manner that you can understand? Maybe back then they, they could understand it. Maybe they were at a higher intellect. I don't know. But um, it said that the Christian cross was originally no Christian emblem at all. He's very flat out. Now, I'm surprised that this would be a book that would be recommended to uh, Christians. Because it says this. It totally exposes the Catholic religion. I believe it also exposes Xmas, doesn't it? Pretty big. But it's funny, people will recommend the book, but then they won't apply it. I remember my pastor recommended this book. Independent, fundamental, King James only, Baptist church. About as hardcore as you could get. And, I mean, we, we burned a United Nations flag every year on UN Day, on Earth Day. I mean, he was pretty pretty radical. And, um, I remember the last year we tried to burn one. They, they, they started making them where they couldn't burn, so you had to, like, douse it with uh, lighter fluid and stuff and set it on fire because it wouldn't burn. <laughs> and the news reporters were there. It was kind of embarrassing. But anyway, um, so, remember, were you there for that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. But, um, what was my point here? Uh, okay, so I, I think I remembered here. Um, 
the, the fact was, is that was a very, very highly recommended book in my church. The pastor recommended it highly. And it exposed all kind of, of bad things. I believe it even got some into the, uh, the Star of Remfam and the Hexagram and, 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 and Christmas and, and all these other things that we were doing in the church. We weren't applying any of this. Now the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, and we don't want to sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth. We don't want to just brush it aside and say, well, whatever. But that's what happens a lot of times in the churches. So, this cross, which was used in Babylonian mysteries, was applied by paganism to the same magic purposes, was honored with the same honors. That which is now called the Christian cross was originally no Christian emblem at all, but was the mystic Tau cross of the Chaldeans and the Egyptians. That mystic Tau cross was marked in baptism on the foreheads of those initiated into the mystery religions, into the Babylonian mystery religions. It was used in every variety of way as the most sacred symbol. To identify Tammuz, Tammuz, remember? T, Tammuz, with the sun. To, to identify Tammuz with the sun, it was joined with the circle of the sun, which is an Ankh cross. So now you have the Tammuz cross, which is a T, but then if you have an inverted teardrop at the very top of it, that's joining Tammuz with sun worship. Actually, at the, at the time it was first done, it was a round circle. So you've got Tammuz, who's the sun god, and you've got the sun right above it. That's called an Ankh. It eventually evolved into a, an inverted teardrop instead of a circle. Sometimes this cross was inserted inside the circle. And this is how Constantine saw it. He saw an X in the sun. Well, what would that look like? It would look like a circle with an X in the middle. Well, this is the exact same thing that Constantine saw in the sky. No wonder he probably related to that very well. Considering he was a sun worshiper, it was inserted in a circle. So, so it was also where you would have a cross... with a circle around every point. And the problem, the only problem with this study is there's no way I can, I can't, because it's not a video study, I can't show you the actual pictures. But I'll try to include those if I do like a PDF file. The mystic Tau cross, as the symbol of the great divinity, was called the sign of life, and was used as an amulet over the heart. It was marked on the official garments of the priests of Rome. It was borne by kings in their hands as a token of their divinity or divinely conferred authority. The vestal virgins of Rome wore it suspended from their necklaces as the nuns do now. Oh, did you know that? I'm telling you, this is totally pagan. Show me where Jesus Christ says, Thou shalt take a cross and wear it around thy neck. Oh, well, he said take up your cross and bear it and... Okay, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at those verses. Okay, we're going to see if that's what he was really talking about. But let's talk about this first. The Egyptians did the same thing, and many of the barbarous nations also had these crosses, of whom the Egyptians had intercourse, as the Egyptian monuments bear witness. There is hardly a pagan tribe where the cross has not been found. We're going to talk about that more too. Did you know that? There's hardly a pagan tribe that they've ever found worldwide where a cross has not been found. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The cross was worshipped by the pagan Celts long before the incarnation and the death of Christ. And that's from, that last quote I just read was from Crab's Mythology, page 193. He was a really crabby guy. Always cranky. No, just kidding. Sorry. Sorry, I just made that up. Anyway, um, it is a fact, says Maurice, not less remarkable than well attested, that the Druids in their groves were accustomed to select the most stately and beautiful tree as an emblem of the deity they adored. And having cut the side branches, they affixed two of the largest of them to the highest part of the trunk, in such a manner that those branches extended in each side like the arms of a man, and together with the body presented the appearance of a huge cross. Did you know the Druids did that? Learn not the way of the heathen. 
Now that verse is talking about a Christmas tree there, but we're not supposed to learn away the heathen anyway. So if we go further, so that those branches extended on each side like the arms of a man, and together with the body presented the appearance of a huge cross, and on the bark in several places also was inscribed the letter Tau for Tammuz, sun god worship. Isn't it amazing? It's all, this all boils back so many times to sun god worship. And they try to superimpose this on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. S-O-N of God, but this is S-U-N. Devil's good at what he does. Oh, he's really good. Remember, he's the most subtle beast of the field. It's subtle, a lot of this stuff. I mean, in a way it's obvious, but it's very subtle at the same time, in some ways. <clears throat> now, this is a quote from... Colonel Wilford's Asiatic Researches, Volume 10, page 124 of the Hyssops to Babylons. Evidently, it's a quote within a quote. It says, The cross, thus widely worshipped or regarded as a sacred symbol, was the unequivocal symbol of Bacchus. Well, who's Bacchus? Well, he's the god of debauchery, drunkenness. Did you know that? That's who Bacchus is. I see, I go around, there's a, there's a uh, restaurant in our hometown that's Bacchus. They're probably occultists that own it. I mean, if, I doubt they just picked that name out by accident. They want the blessing of Bacchus on their bar. Who better to have your blessing than the, than the god of, of drunkenness and debauchery on your bar? People come in and get real drunk and spend a lot of money, and you make money. You want... So, this cross was, was regarded as the unequivocal symbol of Bacchus. Sacred symbol. The Babylonian Messiah. That's who they call Bacchus. The Babylonian Messiah. For he was represented with the headbands covered with crosses. Did you know that? The Bacchus was represented with, with a headband covered with crosses? Remember, he was the Babylonian Messiah. All this is, when we try to superimpose the cross on Jesus Christ, is counterfeit religion. They're just trying to superimpose it on there. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. This symbol of the Babylonian God is reverenced at this day. In all the wide wastes of Tartary, wherever that is, where Buddhism prevails... And the way in which it is represented forms a striking commentary on the language applied by Rome to the cross. Now I have a note here. I said, with such a wide pagan appeal, this will greatly help to usher in the one world religion of the Antichrist. I guarantee he's going to incorporate the cross into some particular manner. It's not going to offend him. Everybody thinks, oh, the, the, the werewolves and the devils, they don't like the cross and all this other stuff. you got another thing coming. <laughs> you got another thing coming. He, he would love you to believe that. And that's why, one of the reasons the Christians are going to buy it hook, line, and sinker when the Antichrist comes about. He's not going to have a problem with crosses. And they're going to think, well, he can't be the Antichrist because he doesn't have a problem with the cross. You know, Hollywood told me that he would. Well, don't go to Hollywood or Hollywood to get your theology. Not a really good idea. And then this goes on to say, and the way in which it, it, meaning this cross, is represented forms a striking commentary on the language applied by Rome to the cross. Though not an object of worship among Buddhists, the cross is a favorite emblem and device among them. It is exactly the cross of the Manchurians, which leaves and flowers springing from it, this cross, putting forth leaves and flowers, and fruit also, as I am told, is called the divine tree, the tree of the gods, the tree of life and knowledge, and productive of whatever is good and desirable, and is placed in terrestrial, in the, in the terrestrial paradise. So that's a quote from that thing. Here's another quote from Hyssop's book. Compare the lang this language with the language of Rome's apply of Rome applied to the cross, and it will be seen how exact is the coincidence. In the office of the cross, it is called the tree of life. This is the office of the cross. Like you have the office of the Inquisition, 
cross is referred to as the tree of life. Whereas in the Bible, we're, we're, it's representative of the accursed tree. Remember, any cursed be anyone that hangeth on a tree. He bore our sin. He took the curse on him. Remember those verses we just read? Okay. But in the office of the cross in the Catholic Church, it's called the tree of life. Um, there's um, also, with the, with when we use the office, could also be in reference to the actual liturgy of the Catholic Church. Um, meaning like the things that they repetitively speak over and over type of thing. Yeah. Um, and the worshipers in the Catholic Church are taught thus to address it, Hail, O cross, triumphant wood, true salvation of the world. That confirms what you said. Now listen to this. These are the Catholics doing this. The Catholics. I think the Catholic religion is one of the highest abominations on the planet Earth. Because they're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's one thing if you're a Buddhist or you're whatever. But they're doing it in the name of supposedly Christianity. Here's one of the things they say in the office of the cross. Quote, Hail, O cross. Hail, O cross? The cursed tree? No, it says, Hail, O cross, triumphant wood. Triumphant wood? I thought Jesus Christ was the one that triumphed. Not the wood. The cursed wood didn't triumph. Jesus Christ triumphed. Okay, my faith isn't in the wood of the cross. My faith is in Jesus Christ. You see how subtle this is, though? How easy it would be to, to you know... And then it said, Halo cross, triumphant wood, true salvation of the world. Among trees there is none like, none like in leaf, flower, and bud. O cross, our only hope. Our only hope, O cross. It doesn't say, O Jesus Christ... Our only hope. It says, oh cross. This is just one of the many abominations of the Catholic religion. You know, I've got a whole word PDF file. If you, if you, if you can, the word Catholicism or Catholics or whatever, you'll get some of my sermons. On every one of the ones that pertain to Catholics, I have a PDF file attached. And that'll load your boat on just about every facet of corruption of the Catholic religion. But it says, O cross, our only hope, increase righteousness to the godly, and pardon the offenses of the guilty. Like, the cross can do this. What? Well, they're worshipping the cross, aren't they? Isn't this worship? Hail, O cross, triumphant wood? And it says, O cross, our only hope. I thought there was only salvation in Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said these things. But they're saying it's the cross is our only hope. What an abomination to God. The very instrument used in his death, they're saying, they're attributing divinity to, and saying it's their only hope. Man, they got things way backwards here. The London record of April 1842 gave the following specimen from a book of devotions on the Passion, set forth by Catholics for the use of the members of the Church of England. Okay, so this is a, this is a thing they got out of these devotions of Passion that was uh, put, set forth by Catholics. It says, O faithful cross, thou peerless tree, sweet is the wood, and sweet the weight, and that weight is like a weight, like a uh, W-E-I-G-H-T. Sweet is the wood and sweet, sweet the weight and sweet the nails that penetrate. Sweet the nails that penetrate? Thee thou sweet wood. That's sick. Sweet are the nails that penetrate the wood? What is that in reference to? The nails that went through Jesus Christ's hands and feet? I don't view those nails as sweet. He bore our sin debt. He took our curse upon Him. But there's nothing sweet about what happened to Jesus Christ. That is shameful. That is an abomination to say this. But, like I said, the Catholic religion specializes in abominations. It's all they do all day long. 
All day long, everything they do is an abomination. Going further, it says, Egypt appears to have taken the lead in bringing in this pagan symbol, originally, via from Babylon. The first form of that, which is called the Christian cross, found on the Christian monuments, is the unequivocal pagan Tau, or the Egyptian sign of life, meaning the Ankh cross. The design of its first employment on their sepulchres, meaning tombs, therefore simply, therefore could have no reference to the crucifixion. Because it was way before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But it was simply the result of the attachment to old and long cherished pagan symbols. See how we've been lied to? Pretty much an eye opener. And we're not, we're just getting started. This is the old. This and this only is the origin of the worship of the cross. The origin. Babylonian mystery religions into Egypt, into the amalgamation, into the other pagan religions, up right up to what we have today. Okay, so I'm going to go to the start of this book now. And I'm not going to, obviously, we're just going to try to really hit the high points in the book. This is the foreword to this particular book. As many have suspected, there is much more to the true authentic history of the Christian religion than what we had originally been told. Some claims regarding the church's history are accurate, some are not. The most extreme claims against the religion came from the atheist camp and often remain unproved. But this book is completely different. It comes from a devout Christian, Henry Dana Ward, a believer in Christ who backs himself up with scholarly research and facts. Why then was this book written if it goes against the traditional beliefs and acceptance. It is because the traditional beliefs surrounding the cross and its worship are wrong. It took time for us to eventually accept the cross in its current form, and to worship it, and according to Ward, this was a pagan symbol that should have never been adopted. Idols were not to be worshipped by the earliest of Christians, and the cross was no exception to this rule. Not worshipping... The cross is consistent with early Christianity and is, and is not heretical. Its lack of worship is part of Christianity's foundational beliefs. In other words, the apostles weren't doing it, and Jesus Christ never said to do it. Was he up on the cross and saying, oh, worship the cross? He wasn't up there saying this. The apostles never emphasized it. Where did it come from? The devil? Revering the cross is based on lies, deception, and ignorance. Ward shows how the lies began, who spread them, how and why they did it. A long line of characters were involved in the spread of information. Um, now, I'm going to mention some names here that are going to really ruffle some feathers. Now, I'm not saying all the peoples of the names I'm mentioning, and they're all bad. Okay, remember, we see through a glass, but darkly. Okay, but, some of the names that they mention here that started this, in its infancy, Barnabas, Nicodemus, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Cyprian, and others. And I'm going to give you the quotes. I'm not going to give you all the quotes, because it's too, it'd be too voluminous. But I'm going to give you some of the quotes, out of their own writings. And you, you'll see how this got woven into what it is today. It didn't start out real blatant, but it was subtle. Like the, most beast, like, like the, the beast of the field, like the serpent. Ward also supplies a list of more reputable theological leaders in early documents that give no mention of the cross as being important to the faith during the early formative years of Christianity. These people and scriptures would have never omitted such a vital truth. If it existed, or if it existed, worship of the cross truly had no place in the original Christianity. The symbol itself does not appear in the catacombs under the city of Rome until about the 4th century. What does that tell you? It didn't even appear. The catacombs in Rome until about the 4th century. Was this all of a sudden some new revelation Jesus Christ gave in the 4th century? Via the Catholic Church? I don't think so. Nor does Christ actually appear on the cross until the 6th century. See, it didn't start out with Jesus Christ just being on the cross right away. It wasn't like that. It was, it was a progression. According to Ward, Jesus was not hung on, on something that necessarily even looked like a cross. And that may be true. I, you know, I, th there's a lot of battling on on was it a cross? Was it a purely a staros, which is where we derive the word cross from in the Bible, which could be a peg, 
Okay, I'm not going to really major on that issue today, because to me, in a way, that's a little bit irrelevant. We're not to worship anything like this, okay? That's the bottom line. Okay, we could sit here and, and dwell on, oh, it was this, and it was a mistrans, or whatever, you know. I'm not going to dwell on that, because to me, that's not the relevant part. The bigger issue is, is should we be revering the instrument of Jesus' death? Should we be putting it in some high and lofty position that is to be worshipped and adored? Is that, that's the issue to me. Okay, so let's boil it down more to that. That's what I'm trying to do here with this study. Based on this actual language use, nothing was ever said about this. It was a singular pole or a tree of some sort, but the language says nothing of the cross. Okay, now remember, this is the foreword to this book that I'm reading. Certain pagans, however, who already accepted a cross within their beliefs, would be more inclined to embrace Christianity if a cross was suddenly adopted into it. Ah, the very reason it was already done, and to defile Christianity. Adding a cross as with other pagan ideals created a far smoother transition, or crossing over, if you will, no pun intended, <laughs> into the Christianity for pagans. And that wasn't my pun, that was their pun. But, um, but it, it, it did, it supplied this transition from the pagans into pseudo-Christianity, the Catholic religion. And again, we've talked about all kinds of things where the Catholics did this. Why would this surprise you? It was rather convenient arrangement for those in power at the time, because Christianity had been struggling for its survival for centuries, and was making an effort to bring everyone together using pagan ideas. Xmas, for example, was not the birthday of Jesus. Any good religious scholar will confirm that December 25th was the birthday of the sun god. He's calling him Mithras. You can also call him Tammuz. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of different names for him. It's like Baskin Robbins, 52 flavors. You got all kinds of different names for all these different pagan deities. Scholars generally believe that, Tamu, that Jesus was instead born sometime around in April. He's saying April, I've heard, more likely September, late September, early October. Again, you know, I'm not going to major on those types of issues. I just refuse. I really do. I, I'm not going to major on minors and minors. On, to me, this is a major issue. Because this is, you know, hey... Crosses are, are on top of just about, or are, are on the buildings or the facades of almost every single church there is. They're on the Bibles. People are wearing them. That's just the beginning. What might you be doing to yourself if you're putting a cursed object on your body? Is there any New Testament precedent for this? Did Jesus go around wearing a cross? Did the apostles go around with gold crosses? Hey, man. Yeah. But you know what I see? I see people that are totally pagan and totally heathen. They got no problem. I had a friend, my, my best friend in college when I wasn't even saved. His name was Greg. He had this, he was Italian. He had this big gold cross. He never, ever, ever went to church. He was ungodly. So was I at the time. He had this big, gaudy gold cross. He was Italian. He had no problem wearing that. He wore it in the club, nightclubs and stuff. Why, if that thing was so holy, why did he have no problem wearing it? What did it make? Did it give him maybe a little dose of bro cream religion? A little dabble, do you? I don't know. Maybe he felt like a good Catholic? I never saw him even go to anything. Well, that's the case with a lot of people. They wear crosses. Crucifixes with Jesus Christ on the cross. What an abomination. If we go further with this, it says, One of the early factors in worshipping the cross was the claim that Constantine's mother, Helena, visited the Holy Land when she was 78 and dug up three crosses at the Temple of Venus. Did you hear about this? This is unbelievable. Listen to this. Now this is, I'm not just making this stuff up. This is church, early Catholic church history we're talking about here. Helena, who was Constantine's mother. Remember Constantine, basically the one that started the whole amalgamation of paganism and Christianity together to form the Catholic church. 318, 
whole Council of Nicaea thing? Okay. Well, this was his mother. When she was 78 years old, she dug up three crosses at the Temple of Venus. Oh, that's the place where I want to be. The Temple of Venus. Venus, like the planet Venus, like the god Venus, goddess. Located where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre now stands. Two of the three crosses proved useless. But the third, it is claimed, healed sick people and brought dead ones back to life. <laughs> now, you, just bear with me on this. This story gave everyone good reason to start worshipping the cross as something magical. See, this is how this, all, this stuff all got started, with, with amalgamating it into Christianity. And it was not a major factor in the genesis of its worship, though. Helena may not have been aware of the fact that Jewish law dictated that such crosses are to be burned after one had expired on them. Did you know that? When you, when you use these types of things to kill somebody with, you were to burn them. Why? Because it's the accursed tree. You don't want the land to become defiled. You bury the body and you burn the cross. Or you, bur or you burn the, the stake. The staros, as it's said in Greek. So, these crosses, the, the, the things, the, the implements of what Jesus would have been um, crucified on would have been burned. Now, if it had escaped the fire, it would not have turned up in almost perfect condition after being buried for 300 years. You know, wood doesn't do that great when it's buried underground that long. Oh, but it's, hey, it's a Catholic miracle. One of the many. You know, they got all their false lying signs and wonders. So if we go further, it says, Along with this warping of the cross came other inaccurate information and the pagan traditions that were adopted into the faith. When this became glaringly apparent, various heretical organizations sprang up by the late 1100s and continued to spring up for a number of centuries thereafter. Oftentimes, these movements had the intention of restoring true Christian values, but the existing corruption of the church was so strong that many of these sects were brutally stamped out. What is interesting to note is that the most threatening of these movements, the Waldensians, the Bogomils, and the Cathars, and I shouldn't say they're all stamped out, because true Bible-believing Christian, Christians are still here. They weren't, they've never stamped this all out. They're never going to stamp the remnant out, because God always preserves a remnant. So you just remember that. Okay? But, the most threatening of these movements, to the Catholic Church particularly, the Waldensians, the Bogomils, the Cathars, all rejected the cross. Did you know that? None rejected Jesus Christ, though. Just the instrument of his death. Well, doesn't that seem logical? <laughs> I mean, if we think about it, so, according to Ward, all these heretics were correct in their views, at least on the issue of the cross. The Bogomils clearly considered the cross not only as an item, um, not as an item to be worshipped, but one to be despised. They posed the problem in the form of a rhetorical question, asking, If you killed the king's son with a piece of wood, do you think the king would regard the weapon as holy? Think about that one. If you kill the king's son with the wood, would the king think the weapon that you used to kill his son is holy? I don't think so. It was what killed the Savior, Jesus Christ. So there was certainly no need to worship it. They called it the adversary of God and considered it to be of the devil. In fact, all the icons were taboo to the Bogomils as they were the early Christians. The Waldensians held similar beliefs. The Cathars also rejected the cross as a symbol of worship. They felt it should inspire horror, not veneration. They argued that it is a roof, that if a roof beam falls and crushes the son of a household, the beam is not set in a place of honor and worshipped. Another good point. Those who bowed down before the, any idol or relic were bowing down to the material objects. And the matter and the matter was the devil's creation, according to the Cathars. One Cathar priest, Peter D. Bruce, made it a habit to chop down all crosses lining the highways and would burn them in a heap. If he saw the miles of telephone poles lining the highways today, would he continue chopping? He was quoted as saying, the holy crosses must be broken and burned because the instrument 
by which Christ was so fearfully tortured, so cruelly killed, is unworthy of worship and veneration. This book that I'm reading from, in a second, um, we've already started reading a little bit of it, but this book has not been in print since 1871. At the time it was released, now this is the book we're quoting from today, at the time it was released of this sort, which challenged which challenged the accepted belief at the time. These types of books were often banned from libraries and people were known to be arrested for sending them in the mail. It is so rare a book that the book tree paid, and this is the company that bought it, that the book tree paid an incredible sum for the original, which may have been the only surviving copy in the world. We bring it to you now to preserve the highly important knowledge for Christians and non-Christians alike that would otherwise be lost in history. I had somebody that had scanned every page out of this book and sent it to me. In short, the history of the cross exposes the fact that the cross we revere and worship is nothing more than the symbol of the pagan god Tammuz. We must drop counterfeit symbols and beliefs that have crept in and infiltrated Christianity, leaving us spiritually ignorant in certain areas. Now, if we, I'm just going to be going through excerpts of this book. The cross of Christ... Actually, I tell you what, it'd probably be a good idea now just to go to the second part of the study. Um, we'll just kind of break there and go to the second part, and we'll start kind of with a clean slate there. So, we'll see you in the second part.